0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. This is your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the System of Intelligence for IT Operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Each week, as you know, we share conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, investors, and journalists who are defining how we'll live and work for the next, say, 30 years. Today we meet an entrepreneur who has been developing machine learning technology since 2016, after having spent more than a decade in various roles at SAP. Philip Dussek founded and later sold his last company, Stories, to Workday. But he's also a deep thinker, a mentor, and the author of Flocks Without Birds, a two-volume novel that confronts traditional thinking about if and how the whole relates to the sum of its parts. Philip founded Stories to automate the process of extracting insights from data. Stories was invited to join the Alchemist Europe Accelerator, a highly selective program for exceptional startups where both Philip and I are mentors. Alchemist invests mostly within the US. Philip and Stories were based in the Czech Republic, making his journey to a successful exit all the more impressive. Philip is a reminder that entrepreneurs are everywhere. You'll enjoy hearing about his personal journey and eventual successful exit. Follow Philip on Substack. He's at dusek.substack.com. Follow him on Twitter at fdusek, D-O-U-S-E-K. You can also order his book. It's at flock, singular, withoutbirds.com. Without further ado, Philip, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by uh, having you share a little bit about your background and how you got into the space. Thank you, Dan. Um, with pleasure, and thank you for having me on the podcast. So l- let me
1: just start in one sentence with sort of the space, okay? With the the, the end. So w- what we have really built at Stories is software that automates data analytics, and it took us, well, we. It took us a couple of years to really work out uh, whether the concept will work. And uh, we've been working on this now for about six years. The first three years as a standalone company, and now for the last three years uh, as part of Workday. And so how did I get to this? Um, My background is um, a combination of mathematics, um, uh, programming and economics. And so it's almost, almost sounds obvious that I, I would end up in analytics. But um, back in 1999, when I was finishing um, my university degree, um, analytics really wasn't a space. Uh, and so, so my road toward analytics was, was a longer one. I, I, you know, looking back at, at, at my path, I, I think I was always drawn by complexity. That is, that is probably the overarching theme there. Um, so my first real job after the university was um, working um, as an SAP consultant for large enterprises. So, and what we're doing was, you know, we would always come to a company, um, large, large company, large enterprise um, with multinational operations. And we would start modeling that company in the SAP software. And it would take us a year or two years to really um, effectively model the processes of that company in the software, right? That, that's what's called an SAP implementation. And um, that, that I was doing that for about 10 years uh, and it, it really um, opened, up, opened up my eyes to how large enterprises work, what... Um, and, and how they are managed. And what has been fascinating me toward the end of that, um, that phase, that era, uh, was that I could see how much data companies are really sitting on and how little of it really when, um, when we talk about running those companies. And, and that gap that um, you know that tension uh, between the available data and and user use data or usable data uh, has really been what what brought me into analytics. I thought we, we really need to start helping companies um, run more efficiently using the data that's available and and that was the interesting part for me. so I spent a couple of years then uh, working on individual analytical projects and eventually I started seeing how how similar those those analytical projects are. Whenever we come to a certain company, we would be doing certain steps uh, again and again, and and I thought, well, you know, th- this doesn't really scale. Like there must be another way. Um, back then, many companies were actually saying, "Hey, we need to teach people how to use how to work with data." We uh, there was this concept of the citizen data scientist and um, and data driven company culture and uh, we're trying to instill that in their enterprises for a couple of years as well, and we could again just see how how difficult it is to solve um, the problem of a data overload with just human power, and that, that's where really the idea of of let's automate this, let's let's write code that's going to be sifting through those millions of data points uh, that that the companies are sitting on. To surface just the key insights
0: that really mattered the most. So, you built this amazing technology. You had a great ride with the uh, Alchemist program, and then you decided eventually to sell to Workday. Talk us through your entrepreneurial journey and what was the decision like to eventually be acquired?
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it was a pretty fast and
1: adventurous ride. Um, we got acquired less than three years after, after starting the company. And I think something that in retrospect is, is fairly specific about our journey is that we were a startup founded in Central Europe, in, in the Czech Republic, in Prague. And that, that has its pros and its cons. So on, on, on the pro side, Prague was almost like a enterprise laboratory for us. We had the largest Uh, companies in many industries basically within walking distance and at the same time there wasn't much depth in any of those markets so when we wanted to focus on large enterprises in any industry we had one or two players to work with but all of them were pretty accessible so it was in a way that that was a very natural setting for us to, to, be, to start building a horizontal product, right? Which I think is quite a different situation from if we would be starting this in, in, in the Bay Area, for example. Uh, there's such depth in, in every market, in every industry, that we would logically, um, and, and it would be much more logical to be going deep in one industry. So while we were acquired by Workday eventually, and our technology is today used to analyze employee data or HR data. The original engine before the acquisition was actually a broadly applicable. We have used uh, the same l- logic to analyze sales data, promotion data, uh, logistics data, uh, and in, in many industries. We had banking customers, we had retail customers, uh, we had you know education customers. So there were it, that was quite specific, I think, about basically what what the location uh, offered and, and, and forbid. So that's one. The, the second thing that I would say was quite specific about our journey was that we really had a group of highly talented people, small group of mathematicians and super skilled coders um, who were really tight, tight-knit group. And even when we were getting acquired, we didn't really have a full-fledged, product manager for example we didn't have a marketing person so we were still still uh, in the phase of very strongly focused on making sure that the product even works or even exists like that that was that was the hard proof point right so we we're starting from this from this idea what if what if everyone in the company in the enterprise could actually receive just five or 10 top insights in their area of responsibility, instead of reports, instead of dashboards, right? Just, just five or 10 stories that, that mattered the most. And the, I think it was a fairly audacious I- idea. I still think so today. Like it, it's very non-trivial to, to, to actually build that. And so it was quite unclear whether we can even build this. And so the first year, That we have really spent just working out from a mathematical and conceptual angle, like what is a story, what is an insight, how how do you define that? What what makes a good insight? What, What is a useful insight? And so, so we spend you know a year or two basically working out the engine itself. And when we get to the phase that we really needed to start scaling out. Uh, our business operations, so hiring a sales team, hiring marketing people, hiring product managers, and, and building out uh, the, the, this company, it felt like we we're at a crossroads. And th- it was about the time when we got accepted to Alchemist. It was at about the time when we actually got named Gardner Coolender um, as one of three uh, analytics companies worldwide that year Uh, it was about the time when we also met workday and started talking about the acquisition and so we we really had these two paths ahead of us it was either we will start building out the enterprise operation as a standalone company or we will join forces with someone who does that exceptionally well and continue focusing on the product and you know, when I looked inside my soul, I, I felt like the second path uh, was, was the one that I wanted to do. And, and I felt like, you know, my, my partners uh, were on the same boat there. It was just for us really more exciting to join forces uh, with a company that does enterprise sales really well and give us the space to continue focusing on building the product um, and well, that's what happened and uh, we, we today we have hundreds of customers uh, thanks to the happy union with, uh, with Workday and uh, I think that that bed has, has worked out really well.
0: Talk us through the acquisition process, did Workday find you, did you find Workday, how long did mm-hmm. the acquisition take? So
1: this is where I will g- give credit uh, to Gartner. Uh, Gartner invited us um, as, a, as a pretty small startup uh, to their uh, one of their conferences. And uh, I had 10 minutes to talk about our technology there. And by the end of that conference, we, we were talking with three companies uh, who were at that conference about the potential acquisition. Uh, the number eventually went up to five and Workday was one of them. And uh, it, was, it was really the one where eventually we saw the best fit. And uh, that was very much also on the, on the cultural side and, and, and people side. So we, it felt like we
0: really hit it off together. So you're a mathematician and an economist by training. Talk us through what you consider the hardest technical problem that Story solved. So I've already mentioned
1: that we had to start really from scratch on the conceptual level. For the last couple of years, many people talk about data storytelling, right? But when you want to, when you want to formalize that into an algorithm, when, when you want to create an algorithm that automatically tells or narrates stories, it really opens up this question of what is a story? Not only that, but what is an interesting story, right? How When you have a really large data set with tens of millions or even hundreds of millions of records, uh, how do we answer the question of what's important? And th- those are these, these these really big questions, I think that that we're just just, just attacking from different angles. We're experimenting a lot. Uh, we were trying out approaches. And seeing what works, what doesn't work. Sometimes it felt almost endless uh, because the results for a long time just were not satisfactory, but but we're progressing. And so I think so. So on one hand, really coming to a definition of a useful story was um, uh, that was that was one hard part. And then, if I say this a little bit more. Um, Formally or a little bit more explicitly. We typically, you know, our algorithm is really a data reduction algorithm. So we take in millions of data points, we output 10 top stories. Defining how the reduction should work is, is just another way of looking at the same same question. Um, so uh, we basically had to come up with an algorithm that would describe. The data set as a list of stories where each of them is interesting and yet they do not overlap each other and they they describe the data set well right like if i walk into a forest and i want to say oh i want to i would like to say in 10 sentences what is in this forest so i'll start with the trees maybe and i'll say that there are many tall trees here great so i can cross out the trees what is left? I can see some bushes, right? So maybe my second story is there are many bushes here growing uh, on on the ground. Uh, great, so I can cross that out. What else is there? N- then I maybe need to start talking about about bugs and insects, right? And you know, and I only have ten slots, for example, right? So so how do I approach uh, basically this this question of describing a complex space with only ten? different sentences. I think
0: that's uh, that was the hard problem. So you casually use the, the, the adjective interesting. Now, mm-hmm. in, in the past, we've had guests talk about uh, using machine learning algorithms to mm-hmm. automate the process of extracting a summary from mm-hmm. a large uh, mm-hmm. corpus of documents or an individual yes. document. But when, once you apply that adjective interesting, mm-hmm. uh, it implies some level of intelligence beyond mm-hmm. just extraction. Mm-hmm. What so, does interesting mean in the context right. of employees? Right. Naive approach would be, well, let's, let's use machine
1: learning for that. And let's, let's see what comes out. And I, th- th- that, is, that is a path that felt like too random to us. Um, what we had rather done was to start looking at what do managers find interesting and really start codifying expert expert knowledge, expert opinion into the intelligence of the machine. So so we spoke with a lot of managers um, in in those different areas. And we started seeing that what they typically look for in data uh, are certain patterns. Very often, these are quite simple patterns. Uh, They could be outliers, they could be, you know, how are we doing compared to last quarter? And where, where are the biggest variances compared to last quarter? Uh, it could be w- which new trends have emerged or uh, which, which what are the largest trends in a given data set? And so we started building a library of these patterns that, um, that managers typically look for. And in an interesting sort of development, we found out that, well, pretty much all of those patterns need a common infrastructure. So we were able to really code for those patterns and basically plug them into a common um, analytical processing engine.
0: Given that process, what do you think are the Good kinds of uh, sorry, the appropriate problems for machine learning, and where do you think some kind of you know human curated, like you said, it, it kind of a library or a set of patterns are a better fit when it comes to uh, automation and, and and using big data.
1: Mm-hmm. Where where we have used uh, machine learning was really uh, especially to optimize our algorithms, but the core the uh, the core of uh, the, the, the reduction besides uh, the pattern matching has really been graph analysis. Uh, that, that was one step uh, which for us has been really illuminating was once we have identified the most important patterns in the data, uh, we would turn them into a graph. And that gave us an almost perfect understanding of what is happening within the company in context of itself and then we basically in the next step needed to reduce the graph and that's where we use machine learning um to to really reduce the graph but so that was our approach and our sort of you know uh, the, the shape of our problem i believe you were asking like what what other problems um there are that uh, offer themselves well to uh to machine learning well it's at the moment with with and we have a wealth of different machine learning algorithms right but by the way i think this this whole space of how do we match different machine learning algorithms with different shapes of problems I think that's a pretty underdeveloped space. I'm still <laughs> looking for some someone to to write something really engaging uh, on that, uh, because most of the books uh, and most of the material that I can see on machine learning is highly technical, but few talk about matching different types of problems with different types of, match, uh, of, of machine learning algorithms, right? But so um, you know, there's da- uh, data reduction or Dimensionality reduction, uh, that's, that's one interesting space. There's, uh, it's whenever we really need to um, match many different attributes, shapes of problems lend themselves to different, different machine learning algorithms.
0: You mentioned now Stories has hundreds of customers under the Workday umbrella. No pun intended, but tell us a story. Pick a customer. Tell us how they use the Stories technology as part of Workday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's um, several areas that um, our product currently analyzes. It's uh, diversity um, in, in a company, it's organizational composition, it's um, hiring, um, it's retention and attrition. and it's uh, talent and performance. Uh, we're very soon also going to be analyzing skills um, uh, in across the company and skill gaps. Uh, and showing the top stories in all of these areas. So one one of the stories that I really like to um, to talk about is a a customer uh, who has basically seen a story uh, about attrition uh, in one of their locations. And this um, attrition has been mostly linked to their female workers, to Highly senior workers with long tenure. At the same time, there was a second story in the same location where we would see that uh, the HR team in that location is also um, losing workers, right? So, from two different angles, we can see that uh, there's a problem in that location with uh, the senior uh, female talent um, and with retaining senior female talent that's most likely also being exacerbated by the fact that the company is losing hr talent um uh, in that location so and the the very interesting thing is that this came up as a top story within the company um, even though this wasn't by far the largest um, location but it came up as a top story after analyzing Thousands and thousands of, of, of different potential stories, right? So, um, in the end, uh, it not only tells us like where to focus, but it also gives us the confidence that we're focusing on really the most exceptional problem uh, that uh, that is present in the data.
0: Does the story include a recommendation about what to do, or is it just surfacing the insight? So, not presently,
1: it does. It does include. What we call the second order analysis, right? So the why. Um, so so we not only show that there is a for example, problem with attrition in in that given location, but also those different dimensions that uh, it's linked in. and it could be um, it could be gender, it could be tenure, it could be um, ethnicity, it could be um, actually um, the uh, the pay grade. It could be m- many different things. And we automatically analyze all of those factors uh, related to that story. The, the question of what to do about that uh, is something that has been on our mind for, for a long time, and we are um, now starting to work in that direction. First of all, we're, so we're not going to be jumping to recommendations straight away, but we are, you know, because we are part of Workday and because those subsequent actions are typically carried out in the Workday system, that really gives us um, a very good opportunity uh, to um, to allow managers so the experts in this situation to record uh, uh, the actions that they are doing uh, to plan the actions that they are doing and then and then for us to analyze whether those actions have been successful so and th- that's really where the term augmented analytics comes into play you know, we we very much like to think uh, about our technology as augmenting or, or, or supplementing the human worker rather than, rather than uh, replacing.
0: So what you're doing is, a, like you said, a classic case of augmenting the intelligence of the live worker, the live employee. Talk us through the skills that will be needed in the workplace, let's say in 10 to 20 years that you think will never be good candidates for full Autonomous automation. Absolutely. So,
1: you know, this is an this is an interesting question, right? For I think for some hundred or two hundred years, we have been basically defining humanity um, on the other boundary. Sort of what differentiates us, what differentiates us from the animals? What is unique about people? And we're suddenly now facing like almost uh, an analogous question. On the other end of the spectrum, Um, like what differentiates us from AI and what what is our defensible uh, advantage? I think it's uh, there are several that immediately come to mind. So the first one is creativity and everything that has to do with that. And creativity is is very different from from, from randomness. right? Uh, When we come up with creative ideas, they are actually rooted in meaning. Uh, When we come up with creative solutions to a problem, those solutions have a clear link to that problem, right? Um, The the linking around meaning is the second, I think, fundamental quality of humans that will be very hard to replace. Um, I'll give an example. When we read a blog post, there's a lot that happens in our minds that has to do with... um, how we derive meaning right? we're really linking the meaning of the of, of the text to library of um, information a library of meaning that we have built up in the past and <clears throat> this is still quite different in its effect to what today's machine learning algorithms do right we are able to work consciously with meaning that's the that's the next step right so Consciousness is another part that that really will be very hard to replicate uh, in AI, and it's almost like that is a not a learned skill. It's it's, it's something that that we are gifted with, right? But um, it, it it's very defensible, basically, for us for us humans, the way we work consciously with meaning. and And the last part uh, on here that I will mention is the way we again work consciously with emotions, which allows us to relate, uh, it allows us to, um, to talk, uh, to, to have relationships that are, again, meaningful. So these are the four words that I would mention that I think are at the core of all of the other skills and qualities that, that humans will retain as unique for a very long time.
0: That's uh, consciousness, emotions, meaning. What is one technology that you think will be commonplace in the workplace in call it 2030 2035 that today would just seem like science fiction. Hmm. So one that I that I keep
1: thinking about is is actually telepathy. Think, you know, we see developments on uh, multiple fronts that are taking us toward a more natural or the most natural interaction between uh, our our minds and Computers eventually uh, it 's possible that we will not have to be talking that, that we will be able to transfer our thoughts in the form in which we think them directly to ideas and we will be able to skip this cumbersome uh, mouth interface uh, so that is one that I think is still uh, very much open whether it will uh, it will happen or not and and how soon. Uh, uh, but one uh, that I think is really promising is um, is also uh, along this direction, but but closer to today, um, and that's having almost like a sidekick um, <clears throat> in in our daily interactions. So and you know, I think Google Glass was was one of those technologies that maybe was making or hinting at a at a promise of this, like having you know having almost like a coach uh, with us uh, in the different daily interactions. I, one way or another, I believe that's where we're going because if you really want to accelerate uh, somebody's like career progress, uh, having having a full-time coach with him or a partner would be uh, would be of tremendous value and I think this could have different forms it could be really some invisible technology uh, uh, and whether that's in ear or 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 in eye who knows Uh, but it could also be at first uh, human driven Um, it could eventually be leading toward AI of course um, but perhaps uh, there's a middle ground of, of like you know, job shadowing or, uh, or job pairing, uh, we see that in, in programming, right? Like extreme programming, basically, is, is this concept where uh, developers code together, um, where two developers uh, work on a single piece of code. And th- there's no reason why we shouldn't be extending this to, um, to sales. To marketing, to, um, to just our daily meetings, um, and just having someone watching over our back and helping us improve in those in those interactions, I
0: think that's that's what we will see. I've asked that question many times, that is the most thought-provoking answer I've heard. Specifically about telepathy, hmm. the idea that we could somehow transfer our thoughts without speaking, and second the thinking that maybe in the next decade we could become cyborgs in a Mm -hmm. positive way, that, uh, that culmination of the fusion of humans and machines. Um, I hope you'll come back when we're all cyborgs to uh, take credit and uh, (laughs) maybe, maybe we'll have a deeper conversation about that. We're about out of time. I want to make sure that uh, I got in this one last question, because I I know that uh, mentioned in the intro, you're a deep thinker and uh, you're in the process of publishing Flock with without birds. If you could share with us the thesis behind that and kind of how that relates to some of what you accomplished in your professional life. Okay, with pleasure. Thank
1: you. So th- there are two levels of that book. There is the narrative book, uh, there is the narrative layer, and there is the philosophical layer. And on the narrative layer, there's actually a really interesting parallel with my startup. The protagonist of that book is a PhD student who is writing software that automates data analysis and uh, tries to find whether there is some overarching meaning and an uber pattern in all of the random data in all of the random events uh, around us. And I, so so it's almost like a single idea uh, here, you know, is on one hand embodied in my novel, and on the other hand, found uh, another form in our startup. Interestingly, someone brought that to my attention quite long after we started the company. Like, I wasn't thinking about it consciously <laughs> way, well, until way later. And also, interestingly, so the book was first. Um, so I wrote it um, a couple of years ago, originally in Czech, um, almost as a science fiction. And then, basically, the startup. Was, was in a way a, a, uh, an attempt to to bring that technology in, in, into life um, so that's one level how uh, the book relates to uh, the company. Uh, the other level is really on the philosophical level um, the The book itself is about the subconscious models that underlie the think, the, the western thinking uh, so the thinking in our uh, civilization and our culture and I talk about um, basically how we are shifting as a society from from objects and hierarchies toward uh, dynamic networks and how this shift is going to be transforming our politics, our arts, um, our foundations of mathematics um, and our relationships and daily lives and uh, Quite interestingly, you know, stories in its in its core engine also has a basically graph um, analytics engine. Uh, that idea of of looking at data through the prism of graphs or networks um, is uh, is something that I think we'll see more and more and more over the
0: next ten and
1: twenty years.
0: Where can our listeners go to uh, learn more about the book or buy a copy?
1: So the book uh, in English will be coming out quite shortly. So at the moment, uh, the best thing to do is to look at www.flockwithoutbirds.com and um, sign up for uh, my newsletter or drop me an email. There is an email address at the website and I'll be sure to... Uh, come back uh, to those interested listeners uh, once the book is out in,
0: uh, in a few months. So before I can let you go, I got to get, get in this one last question. So you got a lot of international entrepreneurs listening. So mm-hmm. uh, you had a successful exit starting in Prague. Like you mentioned, uh, it was useful for you to team up with a technology company based in the US for access to a broader set of customers. Talk us That's through cool. the challenges and the opportunities of starting a company outside of a traditional technology hub? So I mentioned one and there was,
1: you know, like the, the shape of the market can be different and different in an advantageous way. That That is one. The other one, well, in Central Europe specifically, we have access to really good engineers at a fraction of the cost uh, that is typical. And In some way, what we have done uh, could be seen as geographical arbitrage. Like, you know, we have built a company with a fairly modest amount of capital where that money took us probably three times farther than we could. uh, It would take us if we uh, were building the team in the Bay Area. So that is one way how to look at uh, a remote uh, location, um, remote from the Bay Area as as an advantage. Um, It's also, you know, the the, the fact that we have founded stories in Europe uh, is is another topic in itself that I I find it an open question uh, whether startups in the enterprise space really need to be going to the US and to the Bay Area uh, and when. I, I found it very interesting, very useful, both on the business side, but also personally to actually take that step at one point. But we did it after we have matured the technology, after we have used up the laboratory setting or laboratory resources of our home base. And then we decided, okay, well, Bay Area is our our next uh, next place but that doesn't necessarily have to be uh, the case for everyone i think you you know in enterprise it's quite possible to build a, a europe first company that will be highly successful and that will be rather solving the go-to-market challenges of europe with its market fragmentation first even before before going to us i think that's a valid path as well
0: well Phil, we're out of time but uh Thanks for coming by. Congrats on all the success. And I'm looking forward to that uh, part two of this conversation about telepathy and, uh, and cyborgs. What do you say? So will I then. So will Good. I. Good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll, make, we'll put that on the calendar. Uh, a decade or so out. Excellent. Uh, that's, uh, that's all the time we have for today. This is Dan Turchin, your, uh, your host of AI and the Future of Work. Back next week with another fascinating guest.